How's everybody? Yeah, that's not that's not everybody. Y'all ready? Okay, let's let's um, ask the Lord to help us. There's never a time we don't need His help. There's never a second or a moment we don't need the Holy Spirit's help. That's a fact. Let's reach out to Him and ask Him to impact us and impart His Word into our hearts. Lord, we bow now. We bow before your holy word. We bow before this word that's been breathed from your very heart. But Lord, we can't receive it without your help. We need you, Holy Spirit, to teach us. We need you to take these words that you have breathed and to plant them inside of our hearts. And so our heart's desire is that you will look at our hearts like your garden and that you will plant seeds of eternity inside of us this night and that those seeds will grow and produce much fruit for your glory. That's our desire, Lord. Pray that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I need two volunteers um, who can see well. Like, if you can't see well, please don't volunteer. If, if you have good eyesight, just for a minute, it's not going to be embarrassing, nothing like that. Okay, come on up, So, Tim, come on. <laughs> you, can, you can read that? Yeah. Okay. If you can read that, dude, you've got good eyesight. Well, wear glasses, but I can read that. Okay. <laughs> so, so what I, I have something here. Okay, this is this is important. This is a um, it's a silver dollar. It is from 1898. Some Morgan they call it a Morgan silver dollar. And um, when Diane and I were married 36 years ago, her cousin gave us this as a wedding gift, and um, it says on it that it's almost uncirculated and and he wrote on there twenty five dollars and so um i've kept this in my drawer for all of these years and last time i checked it on the internet it was worth twenty dollars <laughs> so um thank you for the thought but it's not going to help in retirement um but i want to use it as as an illustration so tim i want you to look at this and i want you to describe what is on there It's, it's not a trick. Just well, it's a, it looks like a Greek woman, but I'm not okay. sure. This is like Lady Liberty of the Statue of Liberty. That's how I saw it. Okay. And so what else? E Pluribus Unum. Right. E. And 1898. Okay. And then you got the stars. You got stars that go around the edge of it. Right. Okay. All right. So so that's what you're you're saying is this coin is. And so so I want you to look at this and tell me what what's on this coin. United States of America, one dollar. There's a wreath kind of around the eagle and the mm -hmm. branches up to the bottom of its feet where the pike's resting on. Okay, thank you. Excellent. You can be seated. So, so here's the question that I have. Good job. He, here's, here's my question to start out when, before we read in this passage in James. Uh, which one of them was lying? Tim said there's a picture of Lady Liberty on the front. It says E Pluribus Unum, 1898. That's what he said that this coin said. Sophia said there was a big eagle on the back, and it said United States of America with stars around it. Who, who's lying? Who's lying? Come on, somebody's lying. They're not saying the same thing about the same coin. Who's lying about it? How is that? 
because there's different perspective and there's different side to the coin. This passage that we're going to talk about today, keep that in mind because um, that really explains a lot. So James chapter 2, we're going to pick up where we left off, which is a verse 14. And we're going to read verse 14 through the end of the chapter. Follow with me. Um, this evening may be a little content heavy, if you follow what I'm saying. But it really important themes. James chapter 2, verse 14. What use is it, my, what? My brethren, okay? If someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? So if you uh, do underlining in your Bible, you're taking notes, that word that is, is a big word. Can that faith save him? Can that kind of faith save him? The, the rhetorical answer is what? No. Um, verse 15, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is what? It's dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, verse 19. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that, without, that faith without works is useless? Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works? When he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected or completed. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as, what? Righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. And now I would like to read two, just two verses from Paul's writings, uh, if you will. This is Romans chapter 3, and verse 28. Paul says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And then Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Who's lying? Who's wrong? How do we put these passages together? This has been a source of contention. Martin Luther 
was ready to throw the book of James out of the canon of Scripture because of this, because his revelation of justification by faith was the core of his whole life. Is James wrong? Is Paul wrong? Who's wrong? So how do we resolve the seeming contradiction between the two writers? Huh? Okay. That's exactly true. Let's look at that for just a minute. How can both of these things be right? How can Paul's insistence that no one is justified by works, and James says multiple times, he actually uses the word works 12 times in that passage that we just read. How can James say that they are justified by faith, and Paul said you can't be justified by faith? How do we reconcile these things? Okay. So this is what we want, we want to wrestle. When you read Scripture, the way that we own Scripture, I just want to say it again, the way that we own Scripture, where it becomes a part of us, is we wrestle with it. Don't just gloss past that and go, oh, I, I guess there's some answer. I don't know. I don't do that. Get upset about it. Get agitated about it in your spirit and go searching to find out why. What is, what is the deal here? Okay, here, here's what I want to tell you, um, and, and I'll use this illustration. We were doing premarital counseling last night, and um, the young lady was saying, we were talking about in-law issues, you know, because that's, that's a big issue, and how many know that's an, that can be an issue in marriage? Okay. Um, so we were just talking about that and how they get along with each other's family and how they, you know, she was sharing how they come from different backgrounds, and so their understanding of things sometimes it's very different in their expectations and so trying to work through that because you don't want the enemy to get in there in a marriage I mean no come on and cause division you have to stay on the same page so she made this statement which I thought was very telling and I think that it applies to what we're talking about here she said I can talk to his brother about something and we'll argue about it and argue about it for 30 minutes and at the end of that 30 minutes it'll finally dawn on me we actually are saying the same thing we just used different language and we couldn't tell at the beginning. <laughs> we thought we weren't saying the same thing, but we actually are. It's just the way that we're presenting the story. So that's what's happening here, okay? I want to tell you there's, there's a difference of perspective. And, I, and, and let me just give you maybe some keys for this passage to understand where James is coming from. James is refuting false faith. He's going... If your faith doesn't produce something, it's not real. That's the conclusion that he's trying to get throughout this thing. So here's, here's another thing. James and Paul have different definitions for the same word. Okay? Follow me? Everybody follow me? I told you it was going to be a little content heavy, but follow me because this is important. Let's take the word justify or justification. What is Paul's meaning of justification in his writings? Somebody... Anybody? What does he mean when he says you were justified by faith alone? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Paul's use of the word justification is a legal term, and it means that we're put in right standing before God. Okay, That happens in an instant when we put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ. We are put into right standing with God. That to Paul is justification. Works don't produce that. Works don't earn that. So in Paul's mind, the, the, put this word with Paul when he talks about works. So justification in Paul's mind is the legal 
process of becoming in right standing with God. In James's usage, when he says justified, he's talking about something that has given evidence that there was real faith in the beginning. He's talking about evidence. So next to James's use of the word justified, put evidence. And for next to Paul's, put earn. Okay? Works to Paul are... What, what did Paul say the works were? What phrase did he use on the end of works? Okay, follow me, and this is going to make more sense to you. He said works of what? He said works of what? For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. What's Paul getting at when he's talking about works of the law? A man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Works of the law is earning your salvation, earning your justification because you're obedient to the law of Moses, to the commandments of God. That's Paul, works of the law. You're trying to earn your own way. You're trying to get good enough to get justified. He goes, that, that, that doesn't ever work. Okay? Let me tell you, that's not what James is talking about. James is talking about, Paul is looking at it from the beginning. Okay, hopefully this all makes sense in just a minute for you. Paul is looking at it from the beginning, going, when you stand before God and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're justified. You stand righteous before God. Your sins are forgiven and you're cleansed. James is going, no, there's a different meaning in his mind of what justification means. Maybe we could use some translations, uh, translate the word works in James, so maybe this gives a little more clarity, corresponding actions. So what James is trying to get at, is your faith authentic or not? Don't tell me you have faith, faith, I believe, I believe, when we can look at your life and we go, where's the evidence? In James's mind, the whole evidence thing is what he's looking for, and he's going, if you don't have evidence, it's not real. If you don't have evidence, it's not real. If you don't have evidence, you're not justified. You're not shown to be genuine and authentic and true. See, they, they're, they're, they're using a different nuance or a different meaning for the same word. That's what confuses us. Paul's talking about a specific kind of works, works of the law. How many know that Paul believed in good works? How many know that Paul and Titus penned these words in Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 where he said, Jesus Christ gave himself in order to have a people zealous for good works. He went on in the third chapter in the 14th verse of Titus, and he said to Titus, I command you, <laughs> make sure your people are engaged in good works. Okay? It's what order they're in. Paul is dealing with justification in a legal sense, James is dealing with justification as being the evidence of whether the faith is real or not because James is coming against false profession of faith, and he's going after it hard, okay? Hopefully that makes sense. So for James, works is the fruit or the evidence of faith. For Paul, works is earning your salvation by keeping the commandments. For Paul, to be justified means to be declared righteous and free from judgment in right standing with God. For James, to be justified means to be proven to be authentic and a genuine believer. Okay, there's a slight difference there. Um, there's a corresponding action. So down in um, verse 20, let's, let's pick up there for just a minute, and then we're going to take this example of Abraham. Are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless. 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as the result of works, his faith was what? Was perfected or completed. So he's seeing it as a process. If the faith is real, it's going to be joined all the time, every time, with corresponding action. You can't say, oh, I believe, and then there's no change. He's going, I'm looking for evidence. Where is it? If you don't have evidence of the true faith that is expressed in an external way in your life, then we, he's saying we doubt if you have real faith. Okay? That's where James is going. He's looking at it from the back end. Paul's looking at it from the front. James is looking at it from the back end. He's going, okay, you say you had faith all this time. Let's take the, the long view from the back end and go, let's look and see what evidence there is. Let's see if it's really real. And this is interesting because he starts with the end game, looking at what the evidence is. Then he goes back and goes, okay, that validates that the faith is real. You, you, see, okay. you, see, the, you see the perspective difference? There's a difference in perspective of where they're coming from. Paul's talking about how we get born again in the first place. James is talking about proving or giving evidence that the faith is actually real and genuine. It's not just a profession. So let me just read. If you, if you have your Bible or your phone, Exodus, I want to, you know, James used this example of Abraham. And um, I want to just show you how he's going from, in a sense, the evidence and looking back at the faith through the evidence. Genesis chapter 22 is the, the passage, and then Genesis chapter 15. These are the two passages that James refers to. And it's interesting because he refers to chapter 22 first. Chapter 22 of Genesis, verse 15, says this. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham. You, you know what happened, right? Abraham is taking Isaac, his son. Why did he take Isaac, his son, to the mountain? Because the Lord said, take your son, your only son, to the mountain and offer him as a sacrifice to me. And this is the beauty of Abraham's faith and his heart for the Lord. And Abraham went and sought counsel from five other people. Abraham went looking for somebody to give him the answer that he wanted to hear. He knew the Lord had spoken. He knew the Lord's voice. And he rose up early, took the boy, and went and left. That's a huge, um, that's a huge deal. I think about this. I'm reminded of a lady that I know. My wife and I know her. In fact, my wife was instrumental in discipling her and bringing her to Christ. And, um, she was doing great. She was a worship leader, not the leader, but she was on worship team in Tampa. She was doing really well. Got married to a great guy. I performed their wedding ceremony. Um, they got married. They had a little, little baby boy doing, doing really well. She worked at a health supplement store, whatever, in Tampa. She got involved with another guy there in an adulterous affair. And she came to our house with her little baby boy in the car seat. And she said, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I think if I tell him that he'll divorce me. And we begged her with tears, you have to tell him. 
you have to tell him now. That's hard options. So what she did was she fished around <laughs> until she found a pastor that told her, oh, no, you shouldn't tell him. Just keep it to yourself. And so she did. She didn't tell him. And he found out by listening in on a phone call that she was having with her lover. And he was angry and broken, all those things that you might imagine. He ended up divorcing her. She lost everything, including her son. And she asked him this question. She said, would it have made a difference if I would have told you? He said it would have made all the difference in the world. She ended up getting on drugs, selling drugs, selling herself. She was on the front page of Polk County's Most Wanted. Her daughter ended up hooking up with a drug dealer. He killed somebody in a drug deal, and she got arrested for accomplice to murder and went to prison as well. It's just tragic. Why do I say that? As a downer? No, I say that because, like, when you know what the Lord is saying to do, don't fish for somebody to give you the answer that you want to hear. Just obey and do that. And his grace, here's, here's the deal. His grace is given to the humble. Like, I can see that scenario so much differently. I can see her falling on her knees and saying, please forgive me. And brokenness and weeping and I can see him saying let's work it out and them being restored and her not losing her son and her daughter and her life basically sometimes we just need to you know our first impulse just needs to be to humble ourselves because we are desperate for grace we're desperate for grace here's such a, a a good response from every heart. Like, when we've done wrong, confess it. <laughs> when we've done wrong against somebody, confess it. When we've hurt somebody or sinned against somebody, confess it. Because God gives grace to the humble. And when we go low, He gives grace, even in a situation that seems impossible. So by worldly wisdom, it made a lot of sense. Well, He might not find out everything will be okay. How many think everything would have been okay if she'd have lived the rest of her life, even if she'd broken that adulterous affair off, that her, her heart would have been right? You don't think the Lord would have pressed her and she could not live for God and not confess that? It's always better to do it first. Humble. God says, humble yourselves unto the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due season. He gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. How, how many can raise your hand and say you've ever felt God resist you? <laughs> I can tell you I have. It's not nice. The, the word resist there means to resist like a battle in battle array against you. He set up his armies against you. Like, can I just tell you, you won't win? You, you won't win. He, he's 10 billion and oh, he doesn't lose. He, you won't win. You won't win. 
the, the, the best place to go before the presence of God is always low. And lift your hands and go, God, I need your grace. I need your grace. And then it'll come down like rain. <laughs> it's really true. Um, little rabbit trail there. So Abraham, James is giving Abraham as in the, the example. So this is chapter 22, verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and he said, by myself I've sworn and declare, uh, I've sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gates of their enemy. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And then so James is referring to that as being what justified Abraham. But look at chapter 15. If you have your Bible, flip back to chapter 15. I want you just to see his thinking process and what he means by what he says. So this is chapter 15 of Genesis, verses 4 through 6. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, that is to Abraham, saying, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, came to Abraham, the Lord speaking. This man will not be your heir, speaking of Ishmael. But one who will come from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars. And if you're able to count them, he said, So shall your descendants be. Look at this, verse 6. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. But do you see how James, he takes the, the point where he offered his son Isaac as being the proof that he really believed. You, you, you get where James is coming from? He's looking for evidence. That's why he can say he was justified by works because he offered his own son to the Lord because he believed in him that even if he died, God was able to raise him from the dead and give another son. This is where James is coming from. So let me give you Paul's summary of this. Um, in Ephesians chapter 2, you're familiar with this. And I want to ask you if this um, doesn't agree exactly with what James has said. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. You're very familiar with this passage. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is the what? It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast and then look what follows after that. We usually quote verses 8 and 9 and don't quote verse 10 as well. For, that's the connecting word, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. We were created in Christ Jesus for good There's a purpose. See, this is so important. What James is going after is so important in our culture and in the church world today because here's how grace is often presented in a false sort of way. Okay, we're, we're free from um, condemnation. We're free now uh, from all of our sin. And so now we aren't under bondage and we can just do whatever we want. Like, we're free. We're free. And that means don't ever talk to me about anything that I'm doing because I'm free. You're, you're a legalist. No. No. I'm a gracist. 
I'm a faithist. And real faith and real grace produces what? It produces good works. And in James' thinking, like, is this, is this okay? Since James said this by the Holy Spirit, is it okay if I say it too? Let's, t- let's try that again. If James says this by the Holy Spirit, is it okay if I say it too? Because he's looking at my faith and he's going, the dude, okay, you're making the confession, all, all that, but let me see it. Let, let me see it. Let me see the reality of what you're professing with your mouth. That's the way we're going to know. I want to see if you're justified by your works, meaning if your works show the evidence that you really do believe because they go together. Would you agree with me that Paul totally agrees with this, that there's no such thing as faith that doesn't produce works? Can I tell you there's no such thing as grace that does not produce good works? I need to say that again. There's no such thing as grace in the Bible that does not produce good works, godly character and Christ-like conduct. There, There is no such thing in the Bible. There is no such thing. It does not exist. It's a fantasy of modern theology because grace transforms. Faith controls, and it changes our behavior and our choices. It makes us different. And if we don't see that, this is James's whole argument. Dude, like if I don't see that in your life, you're not justified. You're not proven to be authentic. That, that faith, that kind of faith, here's James, that kind of faith can't save you. It's dead. How many people do you think, just asking, just asking, because I wrestle with this a lot. Um, you know, in my natural personality, like, I'm not really a confronter. Like, I don't go after people. I'm like, oh, what are you doing? I mean, I'm just, it's just not me. I, I'm like, just whatever. You do whatever. But somehow in my spirit, this exhortation stuff inside of me, I have a passion for the, the glory and the honor of Christ in his church. That, that really burns in, in my core. I want Jesus to be honored in the way that he deserves to be honored in his own church, in his own body. How many people do you think are going to stand before the Lord on the day when they take their last breath? And they said their whole life they believed and they attended church. But the evidence of the reality of that faith is nowhere to be found. And nobody in the church Where is the evidence? Where is it? Where is it? I, I know that's taboo. It, it's taboo to say that. Like, that's just, look, this is ultimate awkwardness. <laughs> hey, I'm just checking up on you to see if you're really saved. Because the way that you talk and the way that you live and the things that you laugh at and the things that you enjoy, like, I'm wondering for real. If you have no hunger in your heart and your life for God, for His Word, for the people of God, I'm wondering if you're alive. Yeah. 
Exactly. Because the spirit of his son is sent forth into our hearts and it cries, Abba, Father. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. Whether we're in the body or out of the body, we have as our ambition to be pleasing to him. I mean, they're, they're, that cry is inside of every believer. God, I just want to please you. Like, I don't, I don't want to displease you. And, and I, I, I fear, you know, when, when I see believers and they don't seem to, have to give a rip about... Eh, you know, legalists, all that, all that kind of stuff. It, it frightens me for them. It frightens me for them. It, it's just like when you have a baby. You know, if if your baby, we've had we've had a few babies. <laughs> if if your baby is not hungry and not eating, you're concerned right now because that's not healthy. You want your baby to be hungry. You want your baby to want to nurse. You want your baby to, to want to eat. You want your baby to cry because they're hungry. You want to see that hunger. And that's what Peter said. As newborn babes desire earnestly, long for, long for the pure milk of the word. There's, there's something inside of living, breathing babies that wants and longs for nourishment from God. And I... I mean, I wrestle with this stuff. I, I, guys, I don't know if you wrestle with it. Like, I do. I wrestle with it because, you know, I don't, how, how many in here love conflict? I mean, you just love to go with the people, and you love to have that awkward moment where you're just like, yeah, you're feeling it. You, not, not very many. There's very few that are really good at confronting. And there's some in, in the corporate world, they're like the hatchet man. They can go ahead and, you know, it's the apprentice kind of thing. You're fired. Get out. You know, that, that's, that's totally not me, and that's not most people. But, but some of this, some of this sometimes, it, it's, it's in a loving way, but like, is, is, is there really evidence? Because at that day, you, you know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, among other places, many, like that word troubles me a lot, many will say to me in that day, Lord, didn't we? prophesy in your name didn't we cast out demons in your name didn't we do miracles in your name and Jesus never denied that that was true he just said I never knew you depart from me you who do evil like there was something inside of them that wasn't fully connected why does God use people like that and let miracles flow through them I don't know. Maybe it's a testing for the rest of the body. But at the end of the day, it's the fruit. It's the evidence that we're alive. And honestly, real faith produces certain things. Real faith in Christ produces spiritual hunger. Real faith in Christ produces a longing and a desire to honor 
Jesus and to honor the Father and to please him. Real faith in Jesus Christ produces a heart in you that makes you love people that you don't like. Real faith inside of us produces in us a desire to repent when we've done wrong and to confess and to make things right and have a clean heart. I mean, the, there's, there's certain things that real faith in, in our lives does. And the way that we have it set up in the church world in the West, sorry guys for this being so awkward, but I believe I'm saying the truth and I'm sharing with you my wrestle. You know what? I have this thing inside of me where I don't want to stand before Jesus on that day and him say to me, why didn't you say the truth? Why didn't you say the truth? Like you saw, I showed you, and you didn't say the truth because you feared man. And like I'm speaking for myself, like I don't want to be that person in that position. And um, so I feel compelled. <laughs> um, this stuff comes out of my belly, you know, when we talk, and I'm sorry that it's so awkward, you know. Um, but it, it's, it just is. And I feel like the Lord wants us to wrestle sometimes. Part of our growth in God, part of the essential part of our growth in God is wrestling with issues like this that are difficult and putting ourselves and saying, God, what do you want me to do? How can I partner with you in what you're wanting? So James is going after this. This is in the Bible for a reason. How many of those people? I don't know, but Jesus said there's going to be many. Many of them that had supernatural gifts flowing through their life? How is that even possible? I don't know. But I know he said he would send false prophets among his people to test them and to try them to see where their heart was. And you shall know them not by their gifts, he said, you'll know them by their what? By their fruit. This is what James would call their justification, the evidence that they really belong. That's how you know them. Can, can I just tell you that the body of Christ overall, this is my observation, and I think church history bears it out and the charismatic movement bears it out but just because of so much false teaching that swallowed down hook, line, and sinker, like we're super gullible. Because gifts for us, manifestations for us, trump this every time, just about. I'm speaking generally now. And this is not a beat down. I'm just, I'm just making observations. I'm not saying specifically people. I see people in here I know love the word and they're deep in the word. I'm not, I'm not saying you or you. I'm just saying in general. That's, it's, it's the truth. My study of, of revival history, <laughs> some of the most screwball things you have ever heard in your life taught from the pulpit, and applauded. What in the world? What are you clapping for? This is absolute hogwash. It's because the dude moves in power. He needs to have somebody to sit him down. But the Lord uses that as testing. The church has been tested by this stuff for decades, and consistently we failed. Can, can I give you one example? <laughs> William Branham. His biography says, William Branham, a man sent from God. He was. Fifth grade educated, forest service, very, very, very low education. 
angel of the Lord came to him, said, the Lord's given you a gift of healing. Not even cancer will stand before your prayer. Um, he had some of the most powerful healings since the days of the apostles in his ministry. Um, he would see a vision of how the healing was going to happen, and then he would just wait until the, everything was in its right place. The car was here, the person was here, the chair. I mean, just like that. And he go, okay, now I can pray. Boom, bam. Just, I mean, powerful miracles. His wor the word of knowledge that he operated in was so accurate that he would have hundreds and even thousands of people in a prayer line in a coliseum, and he never looked at anybody's prayer card. He would just tell them what they came up for when they came, one after the other. You're not here for yourself, are you? No. You're here for your husband, aren't you? Yes. Do you want to know where your husband is right now? Yes. He's in bed with the red-headed secretary, and he'll be dead within six months. Everybody else sit down. That man died in five and a half months. Cancer came, was discovered. That was all true. That's the kind of power this guy moved in. Do you know what kind of doctrine he taught? I've got newspapers of, of Branham. I've got his writings and his sermons. Here's, here's some other things that he taught. The doctrine of the Trinity is a spewed out of hell doctrine of demons. I am the angel of the church in Laodicea. Come to speak the word of the Lord to this generation. I'm the angel. <laughs> Tens of thousands of people applauded everything he said. His sermons are recorded in books that I have in my library, and they read like this. Um, 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 Brother Smith, um, um. Um, would you mind um, um, opening that window? Um, um, I want to thank, um, um, they recorded every syllable he said because they believed it was all inspired. When we lived on the east side of Lakeland when we were first married, Diane worked as a hostess at the McDonald's there on Cumbia 92. There was a guy who came in there um, regularly that she had met, and that's part of the way that I got some of Branham's materials. They met, now Branham died in 1965 in a car accident because God took him out. So he was doing so much damage to the body of Christ. They came in there. This was in 1986 or something. It was, it was in the early, mid-80s. Okay? So more than 20 years after he was dead, they met together as a church listening to his sermons because they believed he was going to be raised from the dead. something wrong with that there's something wrong with that the, the church I hope you guys can hear my heart like I have this longing inside of me for the honor of Jesus Christ in his church it grieves me when we applaud and cheer for things that dishonor him and are not true and yet how come we don't have the discernment because we're enamored with the external gifts and manifestations, which God wants to pour out, I'm convinced, in much greater effusion. But he knows that if he did, he'd ruin us. I believe God wants to raise up people with gifts of the, you know, miracles, working on miracles, gifts of healings in greater ways. But 
but whenever he allows somebody to have something like that, even if he chooses a really lowly vessel like Branham was, he wasn't Dr. Branham, he was fifth grade graduate Branham. But still, people worship. When we see the, the glory of Jesus reflected in somebody, then we want to fall down and worship that. And it dishonors Jesus in his own house. And so he has to restrain from pouring out greater miracles and greater power because he knows we'll worship it instead of him. And we'll take the truth and go, God's moving. Is he? Or is he testing? Is he wanting to see if we really love the truth? That's Second Thessalonians. The man of sin's going to come, and he's going to perform signs and wonders, deceive many. And here's the, here's the kicker in 2 Thessalonians 2.12. It says, because they did not receive the love of the truth, they believed a lie and were damned. Dude, it matters. It matters how we get there. And it, it matters what we're all about. And it matters that we have the core issues. I can tell you this, that in every one of our lives, on the final exam, when we stand before Jesus, love is going to be on there. <laughs> it's going to be on there. Christ-like character is going to be on there. Whether we worked miracles or not ain't going to be on there. Whether we followed Jesus and honored him, it's going to be on there. Wow. It matters. It matters. Truth matters. My prayer constantly, this is my prayer for my children growing up. God, give them a love for the truth. God, give them a love for the truth. Give them a passion for the truth. Because that's what will keep us. And at the end of the day, and at the end of our life, and at the end of our ministry, and at the end of our church, and at the end of our Bible college, everything is going to be measured by this. It's going to be measured by this. Like, my, my heart is, God help us in the school to raise up ministers that have a passion and a love for the truth. You, you know how you get there? You've got you to gotta wrestle with it. You've got to fight for that. You can't be nonchalant with the word. But he wants, a, he wants a people that love the truth more than they love any other kind of manifestation. You know what? I believe this with all my heart. When he has a body like that, he'll, he'll, he, I believe the father has been holding back. This is like a good father in a family where you want to give your children something, but you know that if you do, it's going to ruin them right then. They won't be able to handle it. But your heart is just like, oh, I wish, wish they were in a place of responsibility where I could give them this, and they wouldn't run around and worship 
Worship the prophet. Worship the apostle. Worship the miracle worker. Worship the Catherine Coleman. Worship the, come on, let's name the names. It's happened every time. And the Lord's heart is for us to love his truth and to be safe place. Listen, the Father's looking for a safe place to pour out his power. He's looking for a safe place to pour out his power. He's looking for a safe place to pour out the gifts of the Spirit. Can I just tell you something while I'm rambling now and being awkward? Like, we don't have enough manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit in this body. We, we don't have enough. We have very few. Because if he's giving gifts to every person in the body, and I think that's, when he says desire the great gifts or the best gifts, I think what that means is you might have a bent towards a gift. Like your, your gift might be prophecy or you may have interpretation of tongues or something like that. But, but praying for the Father saying, let the best gifts flow through me, that means that you're wide open for any situation if he wants to give you a word of knowledge or a gift of healing. Like he can do that even if that's not your quote-unquote ministry. He can still go outside that box. He wants us to pray for that. But like, I'm just saying. Corinthians took numbers in their services. There were so many gifts. They had to limit it. Like, I haven't seen that. Now, listen, there can only be, you know, let's let's just do three tongues and interpretations. That'll be good for that service because everybody else has got something to do. Right? But no, it's, you know, it's the person who's, gifted with that and and my heart is and I believe the father's heart is like I want to do so much if there could be a safe place where I wouldn't where idolatry wouldn't be erected in the middle of the sanctuary because something was happening (laughs) no can can we please keep it all about Jesus can we keep please keep it all about his truth and go you know what Lord I don't the manifestation is secondary to me to you being honored. You're the one being honored. I don't want Jesus to be dishonored in his house. I want to be honored in his house. So he's looking for a place. He's looking for a place. He's looking for a people. He's looking for a people that are hungry. He's looking for a people that aren't content to be spectators. He's looking for a people that love the truth and that want to establish his rule and his reign in the midst of that's a safe place where he can manifest. He can use anybody. And everybody in there realizes that that's not them, that's Jesus. That's Jesus that's doing that. Like, that's amazing. He could use a knucklehead like that. Like, isn't that amazing? That's the, the glory of God. I know. It's hard for us to overcome the celebrity culture in the church. It's really hard. And it hinders the Lord from doing what he wants to do. Can we just pray? Would you just pray with me that we would be a safe place for God to manifest his power and his glory? He wants to do it in greater ways. Can we just pray? Father, make me a safe place. Make this a safe place. Let my heart delight in you being exalted above everything. Lord, let my life delight in my heart, delight in your truth above manifestations. But Father, we want you to come in power and have your way. We talk about things, and for some reason there's a disconnect between 
what we do and experience and what we talk about, but Father, we just want to invite you. Would you please use us? Would you please use the least of us? Whatever that means. Would you please manifest yourself and show your glory? Would you please exalt your son in the midst of this place where Jesus truly is the focused He's the focus and he's the heart's desire and the heart throb and the longing of every heart where your truth is more precious than gold and silver and we will not sell it for anything. Father, would you make us a place where it's safe for you to manifest yourself in the way that you want to and that your heart longs to? I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would break down every hindrance, every mindset that hinders you and that you would be glorified. Lord, it's not a, a cliche. It's, it's the longing of our heart that you would be truly magnified. We want to see you demonstrate your glory and your power in the midst of a crooked and perverse and dark generation, that you would draw many to yourself, but that they would see that it's you. It's not a church program. It's not some slick ministry. It's, it's you. You're alive. You're worthy. You're glorious. You eclipse every other pleasure that there is. Help us to join the cry of your spirit for your bride. We pray. Come. 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 Come into the midst of your people. Come and do all that you desire to do. Come and speak without being filtered out. Come and show yourself, show your mighty right arm. Come and deliver the broken. Come and draw the confused and the rebellious and break their will and cause them to bow in worship at your feet. Come, Lord, and do all of these things that your heart desires and make us to be a safe place where you can come and do what you want to do.
you choose to partner with Him with your heart. Show us how to move forward, how to press on. Give us a heart to press and to long. Give us deeper spiritual hunger than we've known, Lord. Give us spiritual hunger that controls our lives. Give us deeper longings of your spirit. Let there be deeper groanings and longings of your spirit inside of us, Lord. We just say we make a place. We make a place for you to come and to groan in us. For your longings are great and the desires of your Father heart are greater than our own. We don't see all the things that you long to do. We're so easily contented with just a little bit and yet your heart longs for great things. You long to make your son great in the earth. You long to exalt his name in the earth and to show him great and powerful and more desirable than anything in this fleshly and feeling-oriented culture can dish out. The Son of God is far superior to every human exaltation and excitement. The Son of God is far superior to everything that has entered into the heart of man and into his highs and into his longings. The Son of God is far superior to anything in the universe for he is the creator of it and he is the purpose of it in all things. We're created by him and for him. And so all things were created to bring him pleasure. And as we bring you pleasure, Lord, then you pour your pleasure and your joy upon us. And the cycle continues of your glory. We long and yearn inside of us, Holy Spirit. Let the yearnings and the groanings and the longings that you have for this body for our own lives, for our own families. There's greater longings than we have experienced in such a shallow way, but yet you want to groan and long for greater things. The Lord longs for greater things. He longs, he longs, he yearns to pour himself out in greater measure among his people, even in your home and in your marriage, in your life with your children, even at work. The Lord longs to pour himself out in greater measure. Prepare the vessels. Prepare the vessels, Lord. Prepare the vessels. Pre give us the gift of longing. Give us the gift of discontentment. Give us the gift of hurting, yearning, and groaning and partnering with your spirit that cries, Come, come, come. Drink of the water of life freely. There is no cost, come and drink.
to go, you can be dismissed and we'll start. Say, wait on the Lord, and it's all finished. We love you, Lord. Just be with you.